Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host, Scotty McCoy, and boy, do I have a surprise for all of you. You all should recognize this legend because it's in his title, The Living Legend. He is my guest on Zoom right now. I have the living legend, Larry Zabisco, on. How you doing, Larry? Good. Can you still hear me? Absolutely. Yes, I can. Okay, good. I, I did it right, but... Uh... No, I was well in Larry land. The, my, the hardest thing in my life is trying to work one of these silly computers. <laughs> I still have a flip phone. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, I mean, the way technology has really been, uh, you know, changing and transcending everything is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is crazy. I mean, especially with the young people who can't can't stop looking at their phone. Yeah. And, and the part that I find is, I mean, it should be good. I mean, it should be used for good where people can connect with each other. Yeah. Unfortunately, you've got so many morons and idiots. <laughs> and I hear young people are committing suicide because they're yeah. cyber bullied. By what? Some nerd in his parents' basement pretending to be somebody. How do you have cyber bullied? Yeah. And you know, I mean, they're almost, you got a young generation almost getting hypnotized and thinking mm -hmm. what their telephones are telling them to think. Yeah. Instead it's of crazy. being with nature and being your own person, mm -hmm. but you get a flip phone, throw the smartphones away. <laughs> and, and we're not birds. Quit tweeting and reading everybody's stupid nonsense. <laughs> Absolutely, Larry. So the first question I do got for you, how did you get your start into becoming a professional wrestler? Well, that's the first one. That's God, I've first. said this so many times. <laughs> when when I, I was born in Chicago, long story short, when I was like 12, my dad mm -hmm. got transferred to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And there was a show, Studio Wrestling in Pittsburgh. And that's the first time I ever saw wrestling. I was like 12. <laughs> And they had the popular local guys, but the big hero of the day was Bruno San Martino. Mm -hmm. And I saw Bruno and I, I was an, oh my God, he was like a gorilla. But the thing that got me was justice and injustice. It was the good guy beating the crap out of the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And I, I got into it and I became a big Bruno fan and I wanted to be a professional wrestler. So I started wrestling in eighth grade and and then high school and between wrestling seasons, I did martial arts to keep you know everything going and learning more. And, and then when I was 16, I found out where Bruno lived. He lived like two <laughs> miles from my house. Nice. And sometimes I got my license and my first $300 piece of crap, Ford Falcon. <laughs> I drive somewhere. And if I went by his direction, I'd take a turn off early and go past his house. And one time I drove past his house, and you could hardly see in the backyard because there was these big hedges, mm -hmm. you know, it's privacy. Mm -hmm. But I, I caught a glimpse of him standing out by his pool, getting a suntan. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help it. I stopped the car and I crawled through these hedges, <laughs> came out the other end covered with twigs and leaves, and Bruno standing there looking at this young guy, you know, some fan crawling through his edges. And basically, I introduced myself as very respectful. We talked a little bit. And that happened a couple more times. And he was impressed with my amateur wrestling thing. And 
It was a time when Bruno was slowing down. He wasn't wrestling during the week during the small shows. He just did the weekends, mm-hmm. the big shows. Right. So it wound up where me and Bruno were working out in his basement together. And I was basically doing the Bruno workout. And damn, I mean, when I, when I first met him, I might have been 18, 19, you know, 18 or so. We started working out. And in 2021, when I graduated college and got a degree in basket weaving, Bruno helped me out. But I went from 180 pounds in high school to like 245 pounds at 21. And I was benching 465 and a half pounds. Nice. The one second pause and got that Bruno. (laughs) You have to do heavyweight low reps to get that size. (laughs) You know, but that's how it that's how it started. I crawled in this guy's backyard and and he helped me when he didn't have to do it. He was a great guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of Bruno San Martino, what was it like main eventing uh Shea Stadium with the one and only Bruno? Well, that was the thrill of a lifetime. And <laughs> back in those days, before pay-per-view, before national television. Mm-hmm. Wrestling was on like one o'clock in the morning, one day a week, <laughs> you know, in New York. Yeah. It was unheard of basically to sell out a stadium. Mm-hmm. And there were, there's some different reports, but there's about 44,000 people that crammed the stadium. Mm-hmm. And there was another four or 5,000 that were turned away because they wouldn't let the promotion put, a, put mm-hmm. chairs on the infield. They thought it would mess up the grass and stuff. But it was also the big thing in my career because at the time, Bruno recently retired, was doing the broadcasting and the people just weren't ready yet for Bruno to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, they put Bob Backlund in there, but no one bought him. And I saw the business going down and I knew if anybody could get Bruno back in the ring, would be like the next big thing and then you know, a big star mm-hmm. because of that situation and all the publicity in those days came out of New mm-hmm. York. And that went to all the other territories, Minnesota, NWA, AWA, everywhere, out of mm-hmm. New York City. So basically I uh, connived between Bruno and Vince McMahon you know, Sr. to have a match, pulled it off and mm-hmm. the rest is history, but that's the match that really gave me a big break and made me Unfortunately, the most hated man <laughs> in the United States in the wrestling business. I mean, I was overturned in cabs. I was my car was smashed. Oh I was goodness. shot at leaving an arena. I was stabbed in the ass. Oh my! Trying to work my way back to the dressing room through a crowd and a riot. Oof. It was a it was a wild time, brother. Wild time. Absolutely. I used to have to hide in trunks. You know, meet people in the gas station, park my car and hide in someone's trunk and get driven into the arenas. Yeah, absolutely. So you were part of both the WWE and WCW. Um, So what was how like what were the locker rooms like in both of them and how did they kind of differ, you know, differ? Well, you know what? I really don't know much about how the WWE locker rooms left because in like 1981, beginning mm-hmm. 82, whatever it was, I took a break from the WWF mm-hmm. because I just needed a break. It was like yeah. a year and a half of 
working my butt off and getting shot at. And <laughs> I, I took a couple months off and then I went to Japan mm-hmm. a couple times. But after that, like 81, maybe beginning of 82, mm-hmm. I never wound up back in the WWE, which was mm-hmm. the WWE at the time. Yeah. Because yeah. an interesting thing was happening. The, the business was changing and the territories were coming to an end. And it was the early 80s that na- nationwide cable mm-hmm. took mm-hmm. over and and uh, the WWE, I think I guess it was on USA Network you know, nationwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the AWA was on ESPN nationwide. <laughs> and the NWA was on TBS nationwide. Yeah. But the territories faded away. Mm-hmm. And there was like the wrestling wars and stuff. Mm-hmm. But because when I was gone, taking a little hiatus and going to Japan, this kind of happened. And Vince, the promoter now, Vince Jr., mm-hmm. he was the young guy, the young blood promoter on the block. And he saw the new era coming with the mm-hmm. nationwide TV and running, running the whole country instead mm-hmm. of just the Northeast. And he made a good move. What he did was he took all of the AWA top guys, mm-hmm. which at that time was Hulk Hogan, who the AWA made into like a good guy, Bobby Heenan, Jesse the Body, oh God, Mean Gene, <laughs> some others he took from the AWA. And from the NWA, he got, you know, Macho and Roddy Piper and Steamboat and maybe mm-hmm. someone else. And they were full. So the WWE was full of you know, new talent and top mm-hmm. guys, which gave me a big opening because the AWA and the NWA always needed somebody. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'd go to the AWA for a while and do something good. But before I got burnt out, then I went to the NWA and did something with you know Dusty, and then I went back to the AWA and <laughs> back to the end, you know. And, Meanwhile, when they closed, and then I wound up with uh, you know, getting a hell of a deal from WCW. Yeah. So I was never really in the WWE locker room. The WCW locker room was great. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was easy. Everybody you know knew the guys, mm-hmm. and I wasn't in the locker room that long because I went into the broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the broadcasting, I didn't deal with like the new era of guys like the Eddie mm-hmm. Guerreros and the Benoit's and Jericho's mm-hmm. and you know, I could go on. But because I was doing WCW stuff and shows, I never got a chance to see the WWE stuff. Yeah. And I yeah. missed the whole careers of The Undertaker and Stone Cold and Shawn yeah. Michaels and Rock and Cena. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see any of them guys because I was always doing the other show. Yeah. If that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, what was it like working with Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff? Well, Vince, I didn't work for Vince McMahon when I was there. I was working for Vince McMahon Senior. Senior, right? Yeah. And Vince McMahon Senior was a classic, you know smooth old school mm-hmm. promoter yeah a classy looking guy you know and mm-hmm. and it was a it was pretty easy dealing with him once we got past a couple of things because mm-hmm. back in those days because bruno was so big all the bad guys mm-hmm. were 
300 pound Tanaka and 300 pound George Steele and 300 pound Killer Kowalski. And that was 245 pound guy who was mm -hmm. a good guy known as Bruno's protege. Yep. And Vince had, a, you know, had some decisions to make because even though I had a hell of an idea for me, Vince McMahon Sr. was the one that put his butt on the line with the checkbook. Mm -hmm. He had to rent the garden. He had to rent Shea Stadium. Imagine what that cost. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but finally, no, Vince Sr. believed in my dream and went with it. And God bless him. Awesome. Awesome. What about Eric Bischoff? Well, Bischoff was easy to work with, too, because okay. when I was in the AWA, that's where Eric started. Mm -hmm. He came in as like a hustler. Eric was a great hustler. And he'd hustle, you know, products and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, he wasn't on TV. Mm -hmm. And then one day we walked in to do interviews on interview day. Mm -hmm. And Larry Nelson, who was the, who was the announcer, mm -hmm. he didn't show up. He was a no-show. Disappeared, disappeared from the state, left his car, left his clothes. Wow. And we found out. A couple of years later that Larry Nelson had like umpteen DUIs and they were getting, yeah, I know. I didn't know. And they were getting ready to put him in prison. So he disappeared and escaped to Florida Keys or something. And so we, we showed up and there was no one to do interviews. So we said, hey, Eric, come here. You're doing the interviews today. And that's how Eric started on TV doing interviews nice. with Larry Nelson disappeared. We just needed somebody yeah. to start doing that. And then I, I was I was a private pilot. I'd fly airplanes. Right. I'd rent yeah. airplanes and fly a town. And I took Eric with me sometimes. So we had a good relationship. And Eric was a sharp, hustling guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. then actually he got a private pilot's license too. He'd love to fly <laughs> with me. So we'd start flying. Nice. And in WCW, it worked out good because, you know, me and Eric would talk once in a while when there was an issue or he wanted an idea. I was there to give it to him and he was smart enough to listen. Nice. You know, I, nice. I basically named the New World Order and I programmed all the nice. beginning of Scott Hall and Nash and then nice. I programmed all me versus Eric to save Nitro and me versus <laughs> Scott. That was all my stuff at the beginning. Which is yeah. the most important yeah. stuff. If you do it right yeah. at the beginning, then things get over as big as they can. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of all of that, um, obviously you were in WCW during the infamous Monday Night Wars. So what was oh, it yeah. like during the Monday Night Wars when you were in WCW? How what was that feeling like around when you were like there? Well, it was an exciting feeling for a couple of reasons. One. Because the wars were going on and the companies, you know, WCW and WWE didn't want anybody leaving or messing up their programming, mm -hmm. they were giving big contracts away. <laughs> like they, they were giving money away like Ted was printing it in the basement. <laughs> I remember one time Ole Anderson was pulling his hair out. He's going, why are you giving some of these new wrestlers all this money? They're, they're not drawing anybody. And the TBS guy said, if I don't get rid of all this money, Ted won't think I'm doing my job. <laughs> so it was a great time in terms of getting a big contract and me doing the broadcasting. Right. 
it, it gave me opportunity to reach you know a couple of new generations of fans mm-hmm. without me getting hurt right because i was talking mm-hmm. and then i did the first half of nitro and then uh, you know, Bobby Heenan came in and did the second half. I'd leave the building before the crowd and go to the casino. There's no <laughs> casino, I go to the hotel. That was an exciting time because wrestling was never so hot. We were doing like an 11 rating. Yeah. And I mean, shows were sold out the very first day you put tickets on sale, you know, two months. Right. It, it was like the golden era of pro wrestling, the end of the 90s. That's that's crazy. So what is life like on the road as a professional wrestler or even a broadcaster? Well, the broadcast was easy because I only worked the day a week. I'd fly out Sunday sometime, be there Monday, do the Monday show and Tuesday, fly home. And then I play golf a few days a week, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but being a wrestler on the road, was a different life. I mean, before I did the broadcasting and even wrestling on the road, when I did. Mm-hmm. but it was kind of like the life of a rock star, really, because you were on TV, mm-hmm. people knew you, you got the celebrity treatment, you know, you could go to nightclubs and they wouldn't charge you nothing, they were glad to have you. <laughs> and I mean, it, it was a, if you were smart, not an idiot, you know, because some of these guys were a little off the wall and unfortunately there's a lot of guys younger than me that are dead yeah you know because they party too much without yeah Yeah. but it was a really life of a rock star when you were on the road the only pain in the butt part was sitting in your car for hours and hours and hours a day but that's why i got the private pilot's license while they're in the car for four hours i flew there in an hour absolutely i was back in bed by midnight and they're pulling at four in the morning (laughs) right absolutely so speaking of like all that partying and everything um what was the uh drug was there any drug testing or was how strict was it if there was well back in the 70s late 70s 80s there was no drug testing Mm -hmm. and and i mean when i first started no one's ever heard of steroids I never heard of steroids. By the time I heard of them, you know, in the late 70s and 80 after the Bruno thing, Mm -hmm. I I didn't even think of using them. I mean, I was 245 pounds Mm -hmm. and I hate needles. There's no way I'm sticking myself with a needle, taking pills. (laughs) But it wouldn't have mattered. If I gained 20 pounds, I was already the most hated guy. Yeah. So there's no point. There was no point in me doing any of that. But unfortunately, a lot of guys figured they had to look super, really good to get a job. So they were doing the roids. But that was before the roids were really illegal. Yeah. And then when the roids became illegal, I mean, the WWE put its foot down, you know, they drug tested, no drugs, nothing was allowed. And if someone had a problem with something, they'd send them to rehab if it took 10 times. Yep. But um, it wasn't a big drug thing, but there was you know, one guy here, one guy there that overdid yeah. it. Yeah. What about WCW? Did they do any type of testing? Uh, yeah, they did. They started, I think, maybe in the, the same two mid late nineties when okay. you know, the boys became illegal. Okay. Because before that, no one knew or talked about them. I mean, the Russians used to use steroids in the nineteen thirty Olympics. They, you know. Yep. I mean, 
they didn't, you know, people didn't know the bodybuilders in California yeah. were roided, you know, it wasn't yeah. illegal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, time. And then they realized that there's long-term effects 10, 15 years down the road, your liver's gone, your cartilage is gone. Yeah. The roids stopped your system from creating its own growth hormone and its own testosterone, yeah. whatever. So yeah. if you've got off of them, you'd shrivel up and get all kind of health problems. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So being a wrestler, obviously, it is a very grueling thing. So what do you believe is the most grueling part of being in the professional wrestling business? The grueling part? Yeah. Well, the, the two things, I mean, the pain in the butt kind of grueling thing that got on you was the, the uh, traveling. Because we used to wrestle mm -hmm. six, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I solved that with the planes. But the other grueling part, too, when all this big money was being offered, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you sit down with the promoter and say, okay, well, this guy's getting that much, so I should be worth four or $500,000. Right. And that was at the time when merchandise just started, like in the early 80s. There was no action figures or mm -hmm. video games. So now you got guys making money off, you know, royalties with action figures, video games, T-shirts. Yeah. I wish they, I wish that stuff would have started 20 years earlier when I started. You know, but Absolutely. it didn't. But, but things still worked out. And I'm in Absolutely. The, still getting some stuff. It's happening. Everything's good. Absolutely. So um, we can't, you know, have the interview without discussing one of the most prestigious things that I think you have gotten, which is obviously immortalizing you in the WWE Hall of Fame. So what was that like? What, what was that feeling like when you got that call? And what were you feeling when you were on the stage accepting the induction? Oh, God, you know what? That was one of the most unforgettable, important experiences of mm -hmm. my life. I mean, you know, to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. But to be in, also inducted by my mentor, Bruno San Martino, inducted me in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And to stand in front of him, there's like 18,000 people in this place. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at him. And I, I didn't have anything written down. Mm -hmm. I just had a couple of things I wanted to say, a couple of people to thank, and then mm -hmm. leave. Right. And I started talking. And then I looked at the crowd. And something hit me. There was an energy coming and I don't know how long, but I kind of blanked out a little bit. It was like a minute or two. I can't remember where I, I didn't know what to say because the energy was taking me into a higher dimension. Mm -hmm. And then once I start talking again, I don't remember what I said. Mm -hmm. And when I got off the stage, I was horrified. I, I wanted to kill myself. I said, my God, what the hell did I just say in front of the world? <laughs> And Vince, God bless him, came out of the control thing and said, Larry, you were in the moment. That's what I wanted. That was great. Nice. So he knew I left. He knew it came from nice. a higher dimension. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was there, came up and said, well, you're the greatest actor I've ever seen with that dramatic pause. Nice. And I went, gee, Arnold, there wasn't a pause. I blanked out for a minute or two. I and then there's some other guy that said, that's the great. So some people thought it was the greatest thing they ever heard. And I wanted to kill myself. Absolutely. I can't watch Absolutely. it. I never watched. I don't want to see it. But the, <laughs> but the experience of the night and the memory and 
The ring's like my, one of my most valued possessions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, me and my dad, we, we actually saw Bruno San Martino get inducted into the Hall of Fame in person in New York City. Because we were at that WrestleMania and we went to the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Yep. And we saw Garden. Bruno get inducted. Yep. Well, good. Yeah, that yeah. was the perfect place. And and I kind of actually the WWE came to me and asked me if I'd work on Bruno to get him in. Because it was some years mm-hmm. ago he said he'd never go in. Yep. But then Bruno looked into the company and talked to me and some other people and mm-hmm. realized over the years, I mean, the WWE is a great company. And to put mm-hmm. it put down to the drugs and all the crap. Yeah. The guys are making money. If you get hurt in the old days, you were done. Yeah. You get hurt in the WWE, they'll pay for your surgery. You'll mm-hmm. if you're home for five, six months rehab and you're getting a yeah. check, they yeah. take care of talent. And yeah. that doesn't even mention all the make a wish and the charity work. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Bruno realized the WWE became a great company. And it was a thrill for him to be there, especially in the garden. Yeah. And Vince wanted him there because that was the perfect place. Yeah. Because Bruno, you know, Bruno and Madison Square Garden kind of went together. Yeah. yeah, they really did. He really, they really did. And I, I've always been also a big fan of uh, Vince's daughter, Stephanie McMahon. She's an, ama- I think she's an amazing outside the ring and inside as an as a character. Um, what, what do you have any experiences working like you know, meeting Stephanie? Well, I met Stephanie and she's very nice, very, I mean, she's very sharp, nice. very nice. And I told her a story and she kind of cracked <laughs> up and she didn't, wouldn't remember. But the last time, because I, with my career and I was gone, the last time I saw Stephanie, the first time I saw Stephanie, she was a little kid. Mm-hmm. She was like maybe four or five years old. And she was at the Springfield Civic mm-hmm. Center, probably with her dad, and we were doing the show mm-hmm. that night. And she was a little, a little kid, a little girl. Mm-hmm. And she was skipping down the hallway. <laughs> and the, the, one of the funniest things I ever saw is I was walking down the hallway and I'm watching this little girl skipping up and down the hallway. And right when she got to this one dressing room door, the midgets were wrestling. Because you can't have midgets now. You offend little people or something. I don't know. But they had midget wrestlers. And Stephanie was skipping down the hallway. Cowboy Lang, who was a midget at the time, he walked out of the dressing room and, was, and walked out and wound up right in front of Stephanie. And you see this little girl could jump up in the air. And she came down with her fingers sticking out pointing right at Cowboy Lang. And at that same moment, Cowboy Lang kind of jumped up and down with a confused look on his face. And when I looked at the little girl, (laughs) Stephanie's face, you could see her eyes going, what in the hell is that? She knew it it wasn't normal. First time she ever saw a midget. The poor little kid freaked out, but it was the funniest thing I ever saw one of them. I told her that story. She cracked up. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. And earlier you mentioned about how you were told that you were a great actor um, with, uh, you know, um, when you were giving your speech, uh, I believe you said. Yeah, Arnold told me that. 
Yeah. So uh, you told we spoke on the phone the other day and you told me the story about a movie you turned down and it was a horror movie. And obviously I was telling you my channel's mainly a horror channel, but you turned down a horror movie and it eventually became a cult classic. Do you want to tell us that story? Yeah, I didn't know you into the horror movie business. And it seems like <laughs> everybody's got a podcast. But this was in maybe 76, I'm thinking, 75, mm -hmm. 76, 76. Mm -hmm. I was wrestling for a couple months around Los Angeles with the, um, Bruno sent me out there. I had a couple of months with the LaBelles who ran it. Mike LaBelle and Gene LaBelle, the judo right. guy. And I was there, and I had a hell of a match with Chavo Guerrero. Chavo was over on it. Nice. And after the match, I went in the dressing room, and some guy came up and said, hey, I got a note here. There's a movie producer that would love to talk to him, put you in the movie. I said, really? A movie guy? <laughs> so I went and talked to this guy. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm making my very first movie. It's an independent film. If you stop by my office tomorrow, I'll give you a script. And... You know, I'd like to have you in my movie. I like the way you look and move and all that for the part. And I went, okay. So I went down the next day and it was a little crap hole. I mean, it's going to talk about low budget, no budget. <laughs> so I go in and I get a script and he takes a picture of me. And I said, well, I'll read this and I'll get right back to you, you know. And he told me they're going to the desert for three weeks to shoot it. You're doing your own stunts. You can only pay 500 bucks a week or something because... It was a no budget, you know, independent. Mm -hmm. His first movie. <laughs> but then I took the script home and I read it, and it was about some weirdos killing people and eating their babies or something. And I went, I don't, I, I So I went back to guys and said, Hey, I'm sorry, but I read this over. Script's great, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I said, I got some wrestling commitments. I got to fly back to New York, you know, you know. So I made up something and told them I couldn't do it. Anyway, it turns out the name of the movie was The Hills Have Eyes. And that was Wes Craven's first movie. So I turned down Wes Craven. I could have been Freddy Krueger. And after that, I never turned down another movie thing again. I got another one, but that was kind of a weird thing. It wasn't a horror movie. I got a message to call Jerry Reed, the country western singer. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Jackie Gleason had just died. Mm -hmm. And Jerry wanted me to be in the last Smokey and the Bandit movie they were going to make with Burton mm -hmm. Reynolds. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> but it was just at, just at the, that time when Bert went off the deep end with mm -hmm. the Halcyons and divorcing mm -hmm. Lonnie or whoever. And his life went you know, tanked. And then shortly after that, Jerry died. Mm -hmm. So it never happened. And then I did another movie. We filmed it a couple months. It ended right at the end of 2019. Okay. And if okay. you Google re the replaceables, the movie, there'll be something about it. And it's, it's about a group of wrestlers saving a town from aliens. <laughs> and then we finished filming in 2019. And then two months later, the stupid COVID crap, you know, was announced. But they were still working on it because it was one guy, you know, editing. And, mm -hmm. and it should be almost done. So I'm waiting to hear like any day. 
Nice. If the movie's done, they got a few people arguing over the very ending with the edits. But it should be done like any day, and they're planning a premiere. And uh, I think one in Orlando and one in Tampa, because that's where the money dies. That's awesome. It was really a, it's an interesting script. There's nothing dirty. The whole family can watch it. Nice. It's kind of, I mean, there's some humor in it. In a way, that's not meant to be humorous, so it's humorous. And then there's, you know, the alien thing in it, which, you know, so, so it, it should be a cool movie. I, I can't wait to see the damn thing. Nice. That's in the nice. whole thing. That's me, Glacier, Luther, Ernie the Cat, Miller, Ming, you know, Tonga, the big guy, big small nice. guy. And a couple other people made some appearances, like Stan Hansen for a day and some other. That's awesome. it, it should be cool. It should be out anytime. The, they said if, when if they get a distributor, the name might change. Okay. But right now you can look up the replaceables. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Well, I thank you so much, Larry, for joining me this evening. Are we done? Yes, we are. <laughs> well, that was quick. Yes, my interviews usually are. We were on for about 35 minutes or so. Yep. Usually my interviews are a half an hour. Okay, because I charge for an hour, so I guess I got yep. a break. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I have not a problem. Uh, I, I had a blast. I learned so much. And I mean, Greg Gilbert uh, from Python's Paradise, uh, in, you know, hooked us up. And, uh, I, you know, I had no problem, you know, having you on my show. And I, I mean, I enjoyed every aspect of it, every inch of it. I loved it. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it, Scott. You got absolutely. any last questions? Whip it out before we hit the exit button. I think I got everything that I needed, actually. I mean, you answered everything. And I, I'm a big fan of yours. I know my dad uh, who passed away. We talked about that. He's a big fan of yours. Uh, he remembers you. And my family is not really a wrestling family. Like, they don't they don't really watch it. But when I told my family about who, who I was interviewing tonight, they're like, oh, my God, I, I know him. I remember Larry Zabisco. I loved watching him. Oh, God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well Scotty, you, thank yeah. you very much, brother. Thank been, you. You have a great time rest in the of future. After you right. see my movie or something, you want to do something, let me know. Absolutely. I definitely will. And I cannot wait to see it. You have a great rest of your night, Larry. Uh, you right. too, buddy. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye.